us and has preserved us even until this day, this very moment. It is God's grace. God's grace. It abounds much. Even for those who don't deserve it, that's all of us. Even when we don't recognize it for what it is, it still abounds much. Just because you don't know it's grace doesn't mean he does not give it to us. We can all testify. And if you can't, just listen to the sounds of the amens as they testify that it is God's grace that has sustained us all. He gives and he takes away. And in my life, he's done more giving than taking away. And that's just who he is. He gives. And if you haven't experienced that, I pray even now that as we fellowship together, that his grace will become more evident to you through the preach word. I am thankful for each of you all, and I pray that we've had a great Thanksgiving. And that's objective and subjective. It can be so great can mean many different things to us. But I pray above all that through the holiday season, you've been thankful for God to sustain you. And even in the small things, you can look back and say it was God's grace. And so even as I preach God's word today, thankful for for grace and for faithfulness and for fellowship. And all those things point to the supremacy of Jesus Christ today. Since we talk about grace and and faithfulness and fellowship, I'm not looking for us to look to one another, but I'll be pointing us to look at God, God the Father, God the Son, and being sustained by God the Spirit. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians uh, today, and we'll be looking at the first nine verses of the first letter to the church at Corinth, penned by Paul, by God's sovereign hand, to a small church in Corinth. So let's pray. And then we'll jump into his word together. God, our father, you are great. And you are mighty. And this moment right now, father, is about you. And I pray that I make you big in the eyes of the people that are sitting here. You are Huge. You're to be exalted. Father, put your words into my mouth. And let me preach your word. May the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, be realized. And the sustaining power of your Holy Spirit be realized in this moment. Father, let us come to know you more deeply. Let us lay aside just for the next few moments all those things that seem to be more attractive to us than your preach word. Father, block out anxieties. The frustrations of what has not happened or being worried about what what may happen. Father, would you block them out? Let your son Jesus Christ be supreme right now. And it won't be so unless you make it so. 
Could the distractions from our phones and iPads and kids be silenced and let us drink deeply right now of your affections? Let us hate every distraction right now. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. You are supreme. Let it be so. Give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear. Give me your words, Father. Hide me behind your cross. Expose my weaknesses and expose my own sins and expose my great comfort that I find in you. But above all, hide me. That I may preach your word, Father. That it may be clear. That it can be convicting. But above all, it causes us to remember who you are. This in our prayers we ask in your son, Christ Jesus' name. The name above all names. Amen. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul lays out this letter in, to the people in Corinth. And he pins this as many letters. He has 13 in all. If you're unfamiliar with Paul in his writing, Paul was once a sinful heathen who persecuted Christians and God called him like you can call any of us and then he used him to write letters. He used him to plant churches. And so he writes a love letter, a letter of conviction uh, to a small church in Corinth. And we'll talk more about that city here in a moment, but hear the word of the Lord. First Corinthians chapter one, the first nine verses. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ both theirs Lord and ours grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given in you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can you sense the affection of Paul right now? Nine times he, he specifies the name Jesus Christ. And it's not even including the pronouns he and his. In, in all, 11 times he mentions Jesus Christ in nine verses. You may be seated. Paul wants Jesus Christ to be known. So today, if I could pin this text it is thankful for grace, faithfulness, and fellowship. And I pray that we pull those things to the surface as I make sense of these nine verses today. And I'll point you time and time again by, the God, by God's grace to, to a few things that we are called to. 
because of his grace, because of his faithfulness, and because of his fellowship, we're called to be a few things. And I want to lay those things out now so that you can track me even as I preach this word today. So I'm going to ask about eight rhetorical questions first. And I'll spend about seven to ten minutes asking questions that I hope set the context for what it is we're about to preach. What it is I'm about to preach. And so you, can, you can track me. And then I'm going to point us to, to, to four main things today. That we're called to be because of his grace, because of his faithfulness, and because of his fellowships. And you see it in the text, and I'm going to pull those out. Two are found in verse two. We're called to be saints. So if you're writing stuff down right now, you can write this down. We are called to be saints. And then we're called to call upon his name. So the first thing that I want to point to is we're called to be saints. The second thing that I want to point our attention to, attention to is that we're, we're called to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. The third thing that I want to call our attention to is that we're called to give thanks for other believers. Not to scoff at them, not to be angry with them, but we're called to give thanks for them. We see that in verse 4, and then in verse 5 we see we're called to be enriched in speech and in all knowledge. And those are the four things that I, want, that, I, that I want to draw, which is a proper response to God's grace and his faithfulness and the fellowship that we get when we come to know his son, Jesus Christ. Number one, called to be saints. Number two, called to call upon his name. Number three, called to give thanks to other believers or for other believers. And number four, called to be enriched in speech and all knowledge. And I'll be pointing to those things today, even as we hear the word of the Lord. So why was this text written? It's not by accident that Paul ended up writing 1 Corinthians. Why was this text written? Paul wrote the book of Corinthians or a letter to the people in Corinth because he heard they were being off the chain. Like they were off the chain. Geographically, they were nestled between a port and a great city. It was a metropolis of such. And when we get great cities, we get great sin. The more people in an area, the more sin you get. The more money you have, the more you sin. The more freedom, the more sin. The more people esteem knowledge and, and their own superiority over Jesus Christ, the more sin we get. And Corinth was that city. But it still did not keep Paul, as we read in the book of Acts, for planting a church in Corinth. God called him to a tough place. Go plant a church in Corinth. He spent anywhere between 18 months and two years in Corinth with this church. So he had a deep affection for them. He loved this church. And then all of a sudden he's getting this report that they're acting crazy. So that's why the letter was written because sometimes we can all be crazy. And like any loving father does or any loving pastor does, when they smell or when they sense sinfulness, they do something about it. And that's God's grace. So Pastor Nate or Pastor Jimmy or myself, we push on you in an area of sin and it makes you uncomfortable. So what? We're called to do that. And it's not about us. It's about making him known. It's about making you righteous. It's about us, our desire for you to be saints. So he wrote the letter out of deep love and out of, and out of a deep frustration and bother for a church that he thought was good. Those are the concerns. What do we share in common with them? <laughs> what do we share in common with a bunch of sinful people trying to do life together? Amen. 
You don't have to be in any church long. And I'm not pointing a finger or prodding it for us as an individual small church. I'm pointing at the greater church. We all deal with issues. Anytime you get a bunch of sinful people in the room together, sin happens. That's what we share in common. All of us are sinful. Romans 5 says you're sinful. 1 John 1 says you're sinful. And if you tell me you have no sin, you're a liar. And the Bible said so. You take it up with God. How should we respond to this text? The preached word is not preached so that we do nothing with it. <laughs> it's not just like, I'm not up here just like giving a speech. You know, it's not a monologue. So, 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 so what, what, what concerns cause you know that? And how do we respond? We respond by, by the four things that I call, by, by being a saint, by calling upon his name, by being thankful for other believers and being rich in all knowledge and all speech. That's how you respond to the text. You don't just leave and do nothing with it. This is not why we preach. We preach so that hearts are changed and affections grow deeper for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the deal, because th- there are threats and there are warnings all throughout God's Bible. Here, the threat and the warning is found in verse 8. Either you will be sustained by Jesus Christ or nothing is sustaining you at all. So you have to, you have to ask the question, like when I die, which could be today, in the next 30 minutes, in the next five minutes, when I die, who is sustaining me? Is it my own works? Is it my own power? Or is it Jesus Christ that I am resting in? And when you die, it's like falling into a big cloud of Jesus. You just pass away and you take a breath on this side of earth and then you, and then you inhale to, to, and, and, and inhale all of him. So who's sustaining you? Who's sustaining you? That's the warning. If you're being sustained now by your own works, please stop. Call upon his name. You can't work enough. Where's the comfort? Because all God's Bible has great comforts. The comfort is you can be sustained in him. And you can die a peaceful death. And I don't mean about dying a peaceful death, meaning all things are in order, even though those things are important. I mean die a peaceful death, knowing that you will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Paul. Called by the will of God. See, if you're called in verse one, as Paul pushes, if you're called by the will of God, you cannot outwill God. Like when he calls you, he calls you. And there's nothing you can do about him calling you. He crippled Paul on the Damascus road. So Paul understood what it meant to be called by the will of God. When you are called and you're in his will, there's nothing you can do about that. Just rest in the fact that you're called. It's okay about what your friends think. It's okay about what your family members think. When you are called by him, you are called by him. And this is not some petty call from a boyfriend or a girlfriend or even a spouse. This is the call from the Lord himself saying, I want you come do my work. Paul called by the will of God. And then he said, he, listen, he said, I'm called into his apostleship. Called into his apostleship. Called to be one of the many, not one of the few, that were called explicitly by Jesus Christ himself to walk with Jesus Christ. There is a difference between an apostle and a disciple. Okay? So we're all called to be disciples. Matthew 28, we're all called to be disciples. If you're anybody running around present day talking about they're an apostle, they're lying. Because the clear, precise definition of as an apostle means you were explicitly and specifically called by God himself. You seen him, he said, I want you. Stop fishing, I'm going to make you fishermen of men. Get on your knees, Paul, on this Damascus road. You are mine and I am yours. He's called as an apostle by the will of God. 
What does he do with this calledness? He's going to be a saint. He's going to call upon his name. He's going to fellowship and love other believers. And he's going to make sure all his speech and all his knowledge is pointed toward Jesus Christ. Follow me in verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth. God owns the church. <laughs> this is not, he's like, listen, you belong to God. Force. We are not in and of ourselves. We own nothing. It says to the church of. And the word of expresses a relationship between two things. It was a relationship between two things. Kevin Jr. is the son of, he's my son. He is mine. He says to the church of God, it is God's church, y'all. This is his church, both the little church and the big church that we're going to see here in the next few verses. It is God's. You are God's. This church is God. We own nothing. This church has been in existence 150 years and 150 years after you dead, it might still be here. He's reminding them, you foolish Corinthians, it's God's church. See, later on in verse 1, they begin to talk about, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of... They're like, no, no, y'all, you're nonsense. You're of nobody other than Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm glad I ain't baptized none of y'all. That's what he said. Because you keep making it about you and about him and about them. No, to the church of God. He's reminding them now in his word about the supremacy of God. Now, now check this out. To those sanctified in Christ. Sanctified to what? Sanctified to be saints. Sanctified to call upon his name. Sanctified to give thanks for the believers. Sanctified to enrich everybody in the speech and all knowledge of him. Called to be saints. Those who are sanctified. And this word sanctified, you know, it has multiple meanings. Two, two, two words will settle on to one is a process that is already completed. It's done. The work is done. Jesus Christ now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. The work, the sanctification work that makes us holy, that makes us righteous is done. I'll slow down, y'all. <laughs> My wife's telling me slow down. Appreciate you. I don't know if I breathe since I've been up here. So I'm going <laughs> to so breathe right quick. I'm going to breathe. Thank you, babe. Sanctified in Christ Jesus. So it's a work that is already done. But it's also this continual process of him working through us to make us more like him. And so it's both and. Because you know, there's nothing we can add to the sanctification. Like he, he's, he's, he's already risen. Romans 8 tells us sitting, interceding for our foolishness right now. Interceding for So the work is done. But out of that, we're daily conforming ourselves to be more like him. Second Peter, doing everything we can to make our calling and our election sure. He's reminding them. Because later on in this book, he turns them up. <laughs> so he's loving them. He's loving them. Listen, it's God's church. You're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints. Called to be a saint. Not an ain't, but a saint. Called to love him. Called to fight for joy. 
called to put our hands to the plow and plow for him, called to sell everything that we have and go find and buy the hidden treasure, called to eat crumbs of his. We are called to be saints. We are called to persevere. You are not called to foolishness. You're not called to be slothful or sinful. You're called to be a saint. You're called to be a slave. You're called to be a servant. And he's reminding them, listen, church and Corinth, you're called to be saints together. Now, now here, here, here's where he begins to point now at, at the big church. He says, called to all with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Forest is not the only church in the world. Force is not the only church in the world. Force is not the only healthy church in this city. And so as we fight for joy, he, he's reminding them right now with, with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord. So what's our second response is to call upon his name and then to remember that we're not at this by ourselves, church. It's okay to hang out with other believers from other church, other churches, because we serve the same God. And here's what's amazing. We look, we look at verse two. He, he says, you know, place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord's and ours. It's amazing that God can be both everybody's Lord in all the world. I struggle to be a good father to Kevin and to, and to Kennedy and to Carson. I struggle to give them balance of my affection and my attention. I just do as a father. I'm like, did I give enough time to him? Did I give enough time for her? Did I, did I do this? I'm a loving my wife well. You know, I struggle with this balance. Did I hit up my brothers? Did I, am I engaging with, with the pastors enough? I struggle to do that. But check out this language. God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, is both their Lord and ours. So here's the deal. There are people on their knees in Zimbabwe praying right now to the same father that we're worshiping. And it's not a distraction to him. <laughs> There are saints in Asia on their knees praying to him and it's not a distraction to him because you know what? We can all call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time and he hears us all and he loves us all. Y'all know what's so special about him? Because he makes all of us seem like we're the only kid. <laughs> hey, when you're in an intimate relationship with him, he makes you feel like you're the only one. Like, God, how you just love me like that? How does your grace, I'm thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for your faithfulness. I'm thankful for the fellowship that I get with the, with the work of the Trinity. And you make me feel like I'm the only kid? We do these little date nights with, Kevin, with, with our own kids. And we hang out with them. And, and at that moment, they get all of our attention and all of our affection. And we do ice cream and coloring books and whatever, that, whatever else they want to do. We, we do those things. And at that moment, it's like me and them. And those moments are special. Those are all of God's moments with us because he is inexhaustible. He doesn't get tired. And so here, here he's saying, listen, Church of Corinth, we have all these people calling on the name of the Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. Remember that both your Lord and ours, and he's reminding them of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He's everywhere. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is free and unmerited favor of God. 
You don't deserve it. And he nor anybody else owes you anything. God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you the next breath. If he gives you the next breath, it's because of his grace and his mercy. If he uses people to bless you, it's not because they owe you. It's because he loves you. And he uses people to steward his gifts to you. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The preached word is a grace. Paul says these things in the first three verses as he greets them. As he greets them. Two of the main points I've pointed out right now are found in verse two. One is we're called to be saints and we're called to call upon his name. The question may be why in the world would I call upon his name? He is the only name to be called upon you all. There was no other name like his. People use it in derogatory senses and all. We, we've heard them in movies. We, we've seen it. In, we've, we've seen it in movies. We've heard it in songs. Using it in a derogatory sense. Unbelievers calling on the name. Oh God. Oh Jesus. Jesus Christ. Calling it blaspheming him. But really there is no other name to be called upon when chaos ensues. Call upon his name. He is big. Paul then turns with attention in verses four to nine. And he's about to give thanksgiving for them. We've looked at a few things so far. First, we're called to be saints. How do we respond to his grace and to his faithfulness and the fact that we have fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ? We're called to be saints and then we're called to call upon his name. Here, verse four. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul sees them as his little kids. And he's saying, you all are little gifts to me. And so I thank God for the little gifts in you that he's given to me. And that's what pastors do. Anytime somebody gives their life over to Jesus Christ, we rejoice and we're thankful. And that's what Paul is saying. I thank God every time I think of you. Every time I think of the fact that he called you, I am thanking God. And it's not as much as him being thankful for the individual person as much as he is thankful for God's grace and his mercy. And that's my third point. We're called to give thanks for other believers. We're called to give thanks for them. Why? Because as the body, as as the little church, we work together to work out his will. That's what we do. We work together to work out his will. Paul, Paul, Paul is, is loving them right now and he's showing them that he is thankful to God for them. So saints, that's how Paul refers to his church, saints. Are we thankful every time God brings a new believer into this church? Do we rejoice? Do we say, thank you, Jesus, for bringing new believers into the church? Let let me love them. Let me give them affection. Let, Let me teach them. Let me show them how to call upon the name of the Lord. Let me show them how to be saints. Saints, do we rejoice? Because Paul's saying we should. I give thanks to my God always for you. Now check this out. Paul's about to call them heathen, adultering, liars, fornicators, mis- misappropriating uh, how, how they take one another to court, misappropriating how they how everything they do, how they eat, how they dress, how they talk. But he tells them all the time I give thanks for you. So as, as, as saints within this church become a bother to you, Are you always giving thanks for them? That's what he's saying. 
Always. Even in the midst of your mess, I'm giving thanks for you. Now check, check, check this out in verse five. He says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So they, they had these things going on in Corinth that, you know, the smarter you are, the more eloquent you were, you know, the better person you are. That's just what happens in big cities, right? The more money you got, the, 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 the more intelligent you are. You can talk fast. You can do these things. But he says, he, 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 in every way you were enriched in all speech and all knowledge, telling them you don't need the world's speech and the world's knowledge because Jesus Christ has given you everything that you need to know. He's giving you the correct speech. He's giving you all the knowledge that you need about him. So do away with all the world's knowledge. Don't be so attracted to what the world is giving you, but love what the Lord Jesus Christ has given you. That is correcting our speech and correcting our knowledge that we point to him. We love him. Even as the testimony of Christ Jesus was confirmed among you. Check out verse six. What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? It is the gospel. It's the gospel. So he's saying, listen, other believers know that you're a believer. Other people know you're a believer by your speech and by the knowledge. And knowledge is worked out by the way you act. And how do we know this? How do we know this? Verse 6 tells us, even as a testimony about Christ Jesus was confirmed among you, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, you all. Here it goes. You are a sinner. And in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve both fell and were born into sin. And you're a sinner. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. You sin. I sin. We sin. But here's the good news. The good news is this. Jesus Christ, yet in the midst of your sinfulness and your unrighteousness, came... And paid the penalty for us. Like that's what he did. And, and, and Paul is reminding them. He paid the penalty. And how did he pay the penalty? By laying down his life for us. Not so that we could be. Not that we could be flattered by the world's speech. And the world's knowledge. But so that we would come to know him. He died for us. But that's not the end of the story. Because not only did he die. Not only did he die, but then the angel came sitting, we see this in Matthew, sitting on the tombstone, and he asked these women, the women were there, they, they, they beat the guys, they're evidently in the text, amen to that. He beat the guys, they say, hey, why are you weeping? What are you looking for? He, 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 he did exactly what he said he would do. He is risen. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? That's the good news. And Paul is saying here in Corinth, the testimony about Jesus Christ is being confirmed among you because you're living this out. You're living it out. You're living out the gospel. You're not spitting on the cross. Hebrews 4 said when we blatantly commit sin time and time again, it is like nailing him to the cross again. Are we there, saints? Are we there, saints? Every act. Disobedient. It's like nailing him to the cross. Every act of hate is like nailing him to the cross. Every thought of infidelity is like nailing him to the cross. Every time we're disobedient to our parents, it's like nailing him to the cross. Every time we gossip, it's like nailing him to the cross. Every time we slander, 
It's like nailing him to the cross. Every time we look sideways at our spouse, it's like nailing him to the cross. Every time we look sideways at an employee, female or male, it's like nailing him to the cross. But he says in this verse, even as a testimony about Christ Jesus was confirmed among you. Now check this out. Why was it confirmed? Why was it confirmed among you? Check out verse 7 because we do something. We do something. Why was it confirmed among you? So we can so sit on our gifts? I'm sure that's what Paul's going to say next, but it's not what he says. He says, listen, it was confirmed among you in verse 7, so that forced you are not lacking in any gift as you wait on, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? He was telling them, you don't have to go out to the world still looking for stuff. Every gift, they were looking for gifts. They were looking, they, they were looking for stuff. Everything you need is found within the church. Everything you need is found within the church. Everything you need is found within the local body of the church. But when we're not functioning like we're supposed to function, we think we need to go outside the body to find stuff. Now, I'm not saying we can't find help outside the, the, the body. But, but use the body to help you find the help outside the body. Whatever it is, he says you're not lacking any spiritual gift. And so we think about voids and we put out the list last week about all these open areas in the church. There should be no open areas in the church because this is God's church and he has established his church. And Paul says as much and I feel confirmation in saying we lack nothing. He wouldn't establish a church that lacks stuff. Are you out of position? Are you working rightly? Your time is not up. You're still useful. Please work. Verse 7 says, we're not lacking any spiritual gifts as we wait. As we wait. As we wait on the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're called to be saints. We're called to call upon his name. We're called to give thanks for other believers and we're called to be enriched in all of our speech and all of our knowledge. Here are these two final verses in, 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 in chapter one. No, the final two that I'm dealing with today. Verse eight says, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey, hey, like inside, I'm like, like a volcano. I'm like spewing out. Because it's like, what? Who will sustain you to the end guiltless? Guiltless? When you flip back through the corridors of the things you, you, you did yesterday, yesterday, and days before that, when we think about how wretched we were, when we were just giving ourselves over Romans 6 time and time again, what fruit were we gaining? And yet instead, he, he, he gives us, he shows us guiltless and he sustains us guiltless. Y'all, that's amazing. And we say, what in the world would make God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit present us to himself guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What would do that? He loves you. 
If you ever wonder in your life if he loves you, he loves you enough to present you guiltless. Time and time again, saints, we've been guilty. Time and time again, saints, we've been guilty. Guilty of all sorts of things. Things that we are way too embarrassed to let people know about us. (laughs) Way too embarrassed. Way too embarrassed. And he says, you know what? I'm going to sustain you guiltless in that day. So that's the comfort. So the threat is you're going to turn your back on the fact that he's willing to sustain you. The comfort is the fact that he wants to sustain you. And he's saying, come to me. Give me your sins. Confess, confess your sins. Confess them. And I'm faithful and I'm just to forgive you of your sins if you confess your sins. If you confess your sins. If you stop pretending like you're now guilty and confess your sins, I will make you guiltless. And I will sustain you. See, not, not only does he do the work of forgiving, but he also does the work of sustaining us. Like those, there, there are two different works that take place. One is to call. One is to sustain. He does them both. It doesn't do it because of who you are. He does it because of who he is. He is faithful. Let me hear up and close, y'all. God is faithful, verse 9 says. It has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with me. And he is not faithful for us. He is faithful unto himself and unto his own word. He won't wrong himself. <laughs> he won't do that. So he is faithful to himself. So what are we thankful for? We're thankful for the grace that he gives us. We're thankful for his faithfulness to himself. There's a little snippet on the CD called Worthy. Look it up. That pastor named Artaxerxes. And he goes to what it means to be faithful. And he's, he, and I, I'm not quoting him exactly, but he's saying faith is not this like little blind thing that we're looking for. Faith is understanding that we have our faith in an individual person. And the more you understand the individual person, God the Father, the stronger your faith gets. It's not, we're not walking around blind, he says. No, 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 no. We're not walking around hopeless. No, 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 not at all. We have our faith, our undivided faith and love and affection in God who created the world and who sustains us. He's telling them this, and I'm telling you this. God is faithful. You're guilty. He's faithful. I need to sit down because I think I've gone about 40 minutes. You're guilty. He's faithful. Here's my last point, sort of, in the title. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son. Hey, y'all, we have not been called into, like, a pretty conference room with the executives of a, of a big office. <laughs> no, because that may flatter some of us. We, we haven't been called into the, with a group of friends that you always wanted to be called with. No, no, that's, that's not it. We, we, we haven't been called by the person that we've always wanted to call us because we get lonely, right? I just want you to call me. I want you to be thankful for me. I want you to, I want you to love me. No, no, that's not who we've been called by. That's not what the Bible says. No, 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 no. We, we haven't been called by a team, or by a school, or by a job. No, that's not it. It says we've been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, we are called to hang out, literally, figuratively speaking, with Jesus Christ, called by his spirit. Hear the great affections in John 20. Jesus Christ said, I'm not going to leave you with nothing. I leave you with the power of the Holy Spirit. We serve a triune God, and I leave you to fellowship with him. 
I don't care who was around your table at Thanksgiving. I don't care. I don't care who's not going to be present at Christmas. I don't care. He is faithful and he gives us fellowship with himself. He's all consuming. I'm going to pray because there's so much more that I want to say. And if I start saying other stuff, then I'm going to keep saying other stuff. And that's a lack of discipline because we got stuff to do today. So I'm going to be disciplined and I'm going to say this and then I'm going to pray and that's going to be it. God is faithful. We get to fellowship with him. I'm done. I'm done. Father, we thank you for who you are. Hmm. You're way better than us. (laughs) To put it plainly. You're awesome. You're kind. You give us grace. Upon grace. Grace we rarely show to one another. People wrong us and we quickly turn on them. And we wrong you time and time again. You keep saying, come to me. Same when you did. Oh, Israel, come to me. Oh, put your name there. Come to me. Oh, put your name there. Come to me. I will give you grace. (laughs) Oh, put your name here. I will be faithful to you. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Oh, put your name here and you will fellowship with me. Father, you've given us all that we need in this church. By the power of your spirit, let us deal with your gifts as saints. This in our prayers we ask in your son, Christ Jesus' name. Amen.